Hello friends and welcome to the show. Well, for many of us, life has really changed. We are now in the midst of a pandemic. Many of us are working virtually. And in some cases, we are being forced to manage virtually. Now, I know that everybody is struggling. Nobody is doing well during this pandemic. And so there is always that chance that maybe we start taking it easy on people and not holding them up to standards. Well, that is flat out wrong. And our guest today, Kate Vendemio, is going to talk to us about how to manage using a concept known as radical candor. Now, I'd never heard about it before, but I found it to be fascinating when she talked to me about it. And as the boss, I think you ought to listen carefully, because if you are not using this, there's a very good chance you're not going to get great performance. So let's go ahead and get on with it. Let's meet our special guest, Kate Vendemio. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. Kate Vendemio, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mac. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you're here too. You know, it seems like just a year and a half ago, we met, we had coffee at this place in Maryland. And during that time, I remember we were going out every day. We were seeing customers and doing training and I think even sitting, yeah, I remember we were sitting in that restaurant and there was people, other humans around us and nobody had a mask on. I don't remember those days. Did those used to exist? A long time ago. Yeah. It's it's crazy how the world has changed, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. In a short amount of time, life has really changed. Yeah. And so here we are doing a podcast and doing an episode. And I don't even remember what we talked about on our first one. Do you remember what it was? Conflict. Uh, well, that's not that's conflict. not relevant anymore. No. I think conflict has been beaten, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Well, it, it was something that back in the day was important, but now everybody gets along. You know what I love the most is when you sit down with family and friends and you talk politics. And I love when people say, you know, I hear you and I don't agree, but tell me more about your point of view. And, and then you'll listen carefully as I share mine and we'll all agree to disagree in a polite manner. Well, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, we just can look at everything very objectively and really practice active listening as well when we have this dialogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, on a serious note, so my mom lives in Frederick and my mom is extremely conservative and super religious. So I think it might have been the last road trip I was up there in March. I stopped to see her. She's 84. She she actually still works and she's (laughs) working from home. So anyway, I went to go see her and she always says, you know, you need to watch Fox News. That's the only fair and balanced reporting on TV. I says, okay, Ma, yeah, whatever you say. And so she went on and on. And I says, hey, let me ask you something, Mom. If Jesus came over to your house and knocked on the door and came in, could he convince you to vote for Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden? And without even hesitating, she said, absolutely not. <laughs> so I think what that suggests is that people really don't want to listen to your point of view. And maybe now conflict has taken on a whole new perspective. Yeah. I don't think it's gotten any better. Well, that's what keeps people coming back to listen to your podcasts. I guess so. Mm -hmm. All right. I should have my mom on and have her talk, huh? That would be interesting. Yeah, it would be. But yeah, I think she'd probably, you know, she'd be afraid to say things. (laughs) Which now my mother-in-law, on the other hand, she would just put it on out there. 
Well, there you go. Maybe you can have the two of them interview each other. That would be great. Maybe they could practice this thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Radical Candor. Have you heard of that? I have heard of it and I love it. And I'm excited to get people to understand it in greater context. Okay, good. Well, that's actually what we're going to be talking about today because I really only heard it when I saw you post something, I think, on LinkedIn. And I thought, you know what? Now's a good time to revisit some of my guests I've had before and find out what this is. So we're going to be talking about this radical candor thing. But before we get into it, I want to give you some time to talk about what you do and your background. I think it'd be interesting. Sure. So my name is Kate Vendimio, and I'm the founder and CEO of Mount Vernon Consulting. Uh, We are a small women-owned business based out of suburban Washington, D.C., and we are your outsourced training department. So we work with smaller organizations and that are in the nonprofit world, associations, for-profit, that we help them. Perhaps you don't have enough staff on site to be able to meet your training needs. And so Mount Vernon Consulting can come in and assess your training needs, design training, deliver the training, evaluate the training, anything it comes down to of making sure that your staff is educated and has all of the necessary skills in order to be effective leaders, bosses, and employees. Sounds like like you uh, do quite a bit, yeah. I do, yeah. So my background is I spent though 15 years working with or for federal government, um, the last six of which were for a large consulting firm, and then decided to break out on my own. So I've been in business for almost two years, and it is growing. So it's exciting, even in these times. I'm, I'm very proud to say that business is, has an uptick right now. No, I'm glad to hear that too. I think, you know, the needs are always going to be there. They just change and maybe they get reprioritized. But I'm looking here at your bio and you are a certified project management professional. Yes. You are a certified scrum master. What is that? So that has to do with the agile philosophy, which is another way of managing projects. Okay. Because I think of the scrum in like a rugby match. Well, that's actually where it came from. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's really the theory that, um, again, it's a different approach to managing projects. So it's kind of funny that I have a PMP and a Scrum Master. But um, essentially, you know, what it's, it's a lot of coming together in the beginning each day, having your Scrum meetings. So that's where it comes from, the rugby term, and doing your stand-ups, talking about how what you're going to accomplish. And it's about accomplishing things in smaller increments. And then you can quickly move from one section to the next. That's interesting because uh, I played some rugby when I was overseas. So you basically in the scrum, what you don't see underneath there is a lot of nasty things going on in there. It's it's brutal. In fact, you, you, we actually tape our ears down with electric tape. Oh my gosh. You, you end up getting a ripped in a scrum. So is well, that I mean, metaphorically, it's not like that, is it? Not theoretically, but you know, you, you can get down and dirty and the scrums, the scrums are supposed to be, your, your daily check-in meetings are not supposed to be very long. So you kind of check in, make sure that you're all tagged up, know what's going on, and then everyone goes off and does their thing. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking in the scrum, you know, you actually lock shoulders and heads with the other team and then that's where all the, the fun starts. Yeah, no, there's not a lot of violence, at least in the scrum meetings I've been in. 
All right. Well, I guess I won't attend any of those. That didn't sound like it'd be very interesting, but, uh, but I'm playing. And so I also see you do Kirkpatrick certified evaluations. What is that about? So that is a designation to um, analyze and assess training after it has occurred. And so, well, actually you do beforehand, you pick, there's up to four different levels of evaluations that you can do of training. And then afterwards you can analyze it to determine the impact that the training has on the organization as well as the employees. So it's really measuring what the impact is of your training. And that obviously helps with your bottom line ROI. And it helps when you're thinking about determining what type of training and what costs you want to put into the training for your staff. No, I think that's probably good because it's going to be expensive to have someone come in and do training. How does they, how do you evaluate like the speaker that uses a lot of PowerPoint? How does that factor into it? Because I know people love their PowerPoint. Is, Is there a level for that? Well, that's, that's what we kind of call your smile sheet, which is just your overall gut reaction as soon as something is over of, you know, I liked the training environment. I liked the presenter. Um, I liked the content. It's not really measuring any type of impact whatsoever. Yeah. So I guess it goes beyond the smile sheet then, right? It does. Mm -hmm. It goes a lot more in depth Mm -hmm. because we want to be able to make sure that there's an impact. A good trainer wants to make sure that there's impact and there are ways to measure it. You know, sometimes you can measure it three to six months afterwards to see how that is being applied in the workforce. So when you do your training, do you design it kind of according to that? Do you encourage people to use that evaluation? So I love evaluations because I love data and I love to be able to see the impact. I will tell you that's probably the one area that's the hardest to get people to buy into because it's very easy to do all the planning for the training, do the training, and then boom, we move on to the next thing. So it's it's my job. I look at it as incumbent upon me to really educate the people that I'm working with to explain that there's a significant amount of benefit to putting time and money into evaluating the impact of your training. But unfortunately, most people don't want to follow through with that. Well, it seems to me that with companies, a lot of them, I'm sure, struggling right now because the economy's in the tank as of today's interview, mm-hmm. that if anybody wants to do training, they're going to really want to make sure their training dollars are better used. So right. you would probably recommend that whoever is selling training be able to put on this kind of evaluation, I guess, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit as we move into radical candor, but it it's the, the planning and the money that you put forth into something reaps a lot of benefits in the long run. And if you don't do something right up front, it's going to catch up with you on the back end. Okay, good. Well, we did say we were going to talk about radical candor. So yes. uh, to be honest, until we talked about this, I hadn't really heard anything about this. So tell us what this is. So Radical Candor is based off of a book titled Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. It was written by Kim Scott and published in 2017. And honestly, it's a fabulous book. It's, It's really great. Just it's for perfect for everyone who's your target audience. So people who are moving into management roles, who are managers and been struggling with things. So I highly recommend it. Great book. So we're going to talk about it because um, Kim Scott coined this term. So 
radical candor itself is a framework to facilitate communication. And so it's making sure that your communication is kind, clear, specific, and sincere. And she talks about two different axes, which we'll get into in a little bit, but it's about caring personally, so deeply caring for your employees, and then being willing to challenge directly, meaning that holding your employees accountable, testing them, pushing them out of their comfort zone, and then you do that through guidance and feedback. So essentially, it's a communication model that allows you to provide feedback in a specific framework. So the reason why she calls it radical is that it's deviating from the norm. So she talks about on this axis, we'll talk in a little bit about acting like a jerk and um, or avoiding confrontation altogether. You know, sometimes we look at it as extremes. You're either a total idiot and a really awful person or you just don't address it in the least. And so she's trying to find somewhere in the norm where you balance the two of them. And the impetus for providing the feedback is because you care so much about the people who report to you. Okay. So radical would suggest that it's very different, right? Yes. And candor, because I've played around with that word too. Candor means that you're communicating in a way that's helpful and uplifting and building. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And she talks a lot about, so she talks about the biggest responsibilities for any boss, right? And so, you know, Mac, you talk about this. This is your area of expertise as well. She frames it in three main categories. It's the responsibility of a boss is to provide guidance. So creating a culture of guidance that's both praise and criticism, right? And she talks about it from a sense, she doesn't like the word feedback. She likes guidance. Because you think about it, people seek out guidance. We want people to provide, you know, guide me through this, take me through this. It has a much softer um, connotation than feedback. You know, feedback we associate with generally being negative and the, you know, can provoke a lot of emotions. So she looks at it as the boss's biggest responsibilities is providing guidance, both praise and criticism. It's about understanding what motivates each person on your team so that you can avoid burnout and boredom and keep the team cohesive. And then the last responsibility of a boss is to drive results, which is ultimately what we are all in it for, is to make sure that we get strong results and we can make sure that we prove to the our bosses that we can produce and manage a team and do it well. So you're basically using this instead of the standard way that we we do. We I mean what do we say? We criticize in private, praise in public. Mm-hmm. This sounds like it's a lot more work. It is. But you know, as we talked earlier, putting the time and effort into something up front is gonna help you in the long run. So let me explain a little bit about this quadrant that she's created. And you know, it's funny because I actually just held up my arms in a quadrant. Like you clearly can't see that. I saw it actually. Can you you see it? Okay. I got one arm vertical and one arm horizontal. All right. So let me just walk you through for those of you that that obviously can't see this. um, If you actually get her book, you can see it and you can also go onto her website and see this uh, quadrant as well. But the we think about the horizontal axis is the axis of challenge directly. All right. And so on the left-hand side is the extreme, which is total silence. 
You're not going to say anything to your staff. You're not going to challenge anyone at all. And then on the total right, it's challenged directly, which means you're going to go for it. And so she wants us to be towards that challenge directly side. On the vertical axis is care personally. And so at the top is what she calls the give a damn access axis. So this is where you care personally enough, you really give a damn about who reports to you. And then on the opposite end is you don't care at all. You couldn't care less about those individuals. So when we think about that axis, it breaks it up into four quadrants. And the upper white right quadrant is your radical candor. So that's where you're challenging directly and you're caring personally. But let's go down into the other four, three quadrants, and we'll explain those in a little more detail, and then we'll loop back into radical candor. So the lower white right quadrant is called obnoxious aggression. And that's where you challenge directly, but you don't really give a damn about the people. And oftentimes we find this is where people who are considered jerk bosses fall into. Okay, you're brutally honest, but to a point where you don't necessarily care and you couldn't end up embarrassing your staff members. Maybe it's calling them out um, in a group meeting because you're not thinking about what the impact it is on that person. So she says that if you can't be radically candor, obnoxious aggression is the next best thing, but you don't really want to be down there. So she says, and I wrote down this quote, which I love, is if you can't offer radical candor, the second best thing is to just be an asshole. Mm -hmm. And this is where we think about, you know, praise doesn't feel sincere. Um, Criticism and feedback is not delivered kindly. And again, it's often done in a public setting to the point where it could make other people feel embarrassed. So that's, That's one example. So then if we're moving around our quadrant, we're looking at the lower left quadrant, which is your manipulative insincerity. And that's when you don't give a damn at all and you're not willing at all to challenge your staff. And this is one of the worst ones to be in. So she calls this the worst kind of feedback fail. So this is where people are backstabbing, political or passive aggressive. Um, And it's the type of person who will give you flattery to your face, but then slam them behind their back. And I'm sure we can all think about situations or people that we know of that have been in this manipulative insincerity quadrant. I have an example of I had a person where I worked directly with her and she was young and she wasn't necessarily the best fit for the job, but she tried really hard and she had a lot of good traits that were going to make her a good employee at other places. And so I was really working on coaching with her and talking with her. And and the problem was her supervisor was just completely manipulatively insincere. Her supervisor wrote her off, um, didn't care about her as a person, didn't want to challenge her at all. And at one point I talked to her supervisor and said, you know, what's going on? And the supervisor said, well, we're just waiting for her to realize that it's time for her to go to another company. And I said, do you not care about her enough to even have this conversation with her? And the supervisor said, well, I mean, you know, I pat her on the back and tell her she's doing a good job, but we're basically waiting for her to realize it on her own. Wow. Right. And so, you know, how does that make me feel? I was in this unique situation where I was the project manager, but not her supervisor. But, you know, one, it makes me completely lose respect for the supervisor. 
Two, it makes me not trust that supervisor ever again because she didn't even have the courage to tell this poor direct report, hey, this this really isn't working out. Turns out the direct report did come to some realization that might have perhaps been loosely around some encouragement I was giving her. And now she has moved on and she's doing really well. And that supervisor is still at that old company doing the same job she's been doing for the last 10 years. So lastly, we're going to move into the quadrant called ruinous empathy. And that is in our upper left quadrant. It's where you don't challenge directly. Instead, you're very quiet, but you really care personally. And this is where Kim Scott talks about where a lot of managers fall. A lot of us fall into this quadrant because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. So we care about them really well or so much that we're not going to challenge them because we don't want them to get upset, don't want to feel uncomfortable. And so she says here that you spare a person's short-term feelings so you don't tell them something that they need to know. And if we think about it, that's the opposite of what a strong boss is. A strong boss, the job is to help move your staff and challenge them so that they're better in their job. And if we don't give them feedback and we don't challenge them to do better, then ultimately it has a greater impact on the rest of the team and on the organization. So they talk here about, you know, Kim talks a lot about so praise that isn't specific enough to help someone understand what they did well or criticism that is sugarcoated. So let me give you a quick example. A couple of years ago, I was in charge of interns, which, you know, people have mixed feelings on interns. So, but I, I we hired this intern and, and she, she really had a lot going for her, but it just wasn't working out after a while. And I gave her a lot of feedback. It just wasn't clicking right? It just, for a variety of reasons, this just was not working out. And it got to the point where we decided we needed to end the internship early. And so I went into it and I was fully prepared. I had some outlined notes to give her specific examples of why this was ending early, things that I wanted her to do in the future that could make her really successful in her next role, etc. And so I felt really confident going in. But you know, Mac, when you start to provide feedback to someone and they look at you with those puppy dog eyes and the tears start to well up and it's like all the courage that I had felt like it went out the window. And so I moved from radical candor into this ruinous empathy where I didn't want to hurt her feelings, right? So I'm ending her internship early because she sucked, but I felt so bad. I ended up coming up with things like, oh, well, you know, we just don't have enough staff resources right now to really provide you with the experience that you need. Um, And, and, you know, if this was at a different time uh, of the year, you know, we would really be able to give you some different types of work. No, really what it was is that she wasn't following directions. She wasn't coming to work on time. She wasn't, you know, able to do some basic tasks. But I lost my courage midway through delivering this because I felt like I was hurting her feelings. And then afterwards, I beat myself up over it. And I still get mad to this day about it because I thought I did her no service whatsoever. 
because she probably left that thinking that the reason we ended her internship early was because of an issue on our end. But in reality, it was because of her. So that's the risk when you get into that ruinous empathy is you're not willing to challenge directly and you care so deeply about that person that you try and sugarcoat some things because you don't really want to hurt their feelings. So radical candor is all about challenging them directly and caring enough that you're willing to, you know, make deal with some uncomfortable situations so that it'll ultimately impact the employee and your team and your organization. So that's a lot of well, information. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny as you took me through that, I thought, man, I, I, you know, the bottom two sound like the Navy, 15 years of that obnoxious aggression or manipulative insincerity. Ruinous empathy sounds like when you say, you know, it's not you, it's me. Mm-hmm. It's right? like when you're breaking up with somebody and like <laughs> that person's awful, but you're like, no, it's not you, it's me. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's helpful. Well, I mean, the thing is, radical counter sounds like the right thing. And yet I'm guessing, at least I've not seen it done. It, what's your experience? Why is it so hard for bosses to do this? Well, I think what's really hard is that, you know, <laughs> In the book, Kim Scott talks a lot about how we were raised with the, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? And so we're kind of ingrained at a young age to not want to say something bad to people. Um, And then also, I think we're there's a perception that when you become a boss, you know, you have to be a professional. Um, Not only that, but then some people feel that they're a little more entitled or that they're better than other people when they move into a management position. And so there's all kinds of drivers as why a boss doesn't want to have a radical conversation. So one, it might be ingrained in them that they're not comfortable giving the feedback. They might have a little bit of an attitude of superiority, or um, perhaps they just think that it's not professional to really care personally about your staff. Um, And so one of the biggest things is that you know, she talks so much in this book about building relationships and she talks about building relationships in a really sincere way. So, you know, I live in Washington, D.C., where everyone loves to, you know, our biggest question at any networking event is, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and it immediately goes into that. Um, but, you know, she talks about getting to understand your staff in a more personal way. So, you know, knowing what their family situation is like, if they have children, if they don't, um, you know, where they live in a loose way, not in a, in a creepy way, but, you know, taking the time to understand, oh, okay, right now, you know, your kids are playing baseball right now. So tell me a little bit about how they do at the latest game. Are you guys traveling for baseball, et cetera? So it's getting to know them, but in a in a way that doesn't seem forced or insincere. Yeah. Well, I guess, is there a danger then of seeming like you're nosy or you're using this information to manipulate them? Why wouldn't an employee say, that's none of your business what I like to do after work? Yeah. So 
what she talks about in the book is working on building relationships with your staff. You know, we think about a lot of the, quote, team building activities that we all have to do, you know, going to play mini golf together, or we kind of have to go to that forced happy hour. And there's reasons for a lot of people why that's just either not comfortable or it doesn't work out with their family schedules. So what she does talk about is having things like one-on-one meetings with your staff when possible and opening it up, not with business, but with just inquiry as to what what's going on with them. And so, you know, for right now, as we're all dealing in the midst of COVID-19, you know, maybe it's kicking off your virtual one-on-one meeting with your direct reports by saying, how's everything going at home? How are you handling COVID-19? Is there anything I can do to support you? And at that point, it's incumbent upon the direct report and they can share what they feel comfortable sharing. She also talks about, you know, if you've got staff and and people are, let's say, going to a, you know, mini golf outing afterwards and someone can't attend, you know, inquiring in a in a sincere way, like, is everything okay? You know, is is there a reason why you can't attend. Um, And maybe it's because they need to get home and help out with an elderly parent, or they have an infant at home, or maybe they're just extremely introverted and that is not their thing. And so it's not pushing or forcing them to do that sort of networking, but it's understanding the drivers behind why people are making choices or what's influencing them from behind the scenes. Well, I don't know. It seems like you would have to kind of ease your way into this because initially... I don't know if I'd trust. I mean, I can remember back when I was in the Navy, somebody's late to work and, you know, you got to call them and then you're like, where are you? Well, I'm here. Oh, well, I'm just checking because I was worried about you. I'm like, bullshit. You want to know why you're not here. You could care less what this person's doing outside of work. I don't know. It just seems like it's going to take a little time to ease into this because someone may not trust you. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is that is the right you know, that's a good observation to make. And so, you know, building trust is not something that's easy and it's something that you have to prove as a supervisor. So in the book, Kim Scott gives this really interesting anecdote where, so she used to work at Google and she used to report to Sheryl Sandberg, who is now of Facebook fame. Mm-hmm. And she talks about, you know, she she had moved from New York to Silicon Valley to start working at Google and Cheryl had really was her boss and had really made an effort to make Kim feel comfortable and welcome in this new environment. So Cheryl invited her to her book club. And um, I think when Kim had some personal family issues, Cheryl said, okay, go home and take care of those. So as a boss, Cheryl's starting to show how she's compassionate and supportive of Kim and she's building Kim's trust. So then Kim gives an example of a time where she made a presentation to executives at Google and Cheryl was there and afterwards Kim's feeling really good about herself. She blew them out of the water. She could tell they were really excited about the end product. And as they're leaving, Cheryl says, you know, come, come walk with me. And so Cheryl says, how do you think it went? Kim said, oh, it's fabulous. You know, look at how they were blown out of the water. They're so impressed. And Carol says, or Cheryl says, well, I noticed that you said, um, a lot. Would you be interested in us bringing on a speech coach to help you? And Kim says, listen, I'm so busy. I don't have capacity to do that. 
And Cheryl says, well, you know, I think it's, it's something that we would be willing to pay for and work with you on your time. And Kim brushes it off and she says, you know, whatever. And Cheryl stops and says, I can see by you with your hand gesture that I'm going to need to be really clear with you. When you say the words, um, it makes you sound really stupid. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And so Kim, that got Kim's attention. Right. And so if you see it, what what Cheryl started to do was she tried to bring it up in a softer way. And then clearly she could tell that this wasn't clicking. So she challenged directly because she cared personally. So she said, when you say this, it makes you sound stupid. Mm -hmm. All right. And so she had proven that she had cared personally about Kim as they worked on developing a relationship. And it was because they had had that relationship and that trust that she could then be radically candid. Now, some people would argue that that's actually, you know, bordering on obnoxious aggression, you know, challenging directly, but not really giving a damn. But instead, Kim said that it really was on the axis of really deeply caring personally about Kim as a person, about her professional career. And ultimately, Kim reported to Cheryl. And so if Cheryl had staff who was going out and making presentations and doing it in a not completely professional manner, that reflects on Cheryl too, not just on Kim. So it was a mutually beneficial conversation because then Cheryl got some coaching for Kim and now Kim can go out and make these presentations in a very professional manner. It seems like it would be it's sort of like that was going to go to ruinous empathy and Cheryl Sandberg, I guess when she leaned in, right? Oh, there her, you yeah, go. there you go. Yeah. So, she leaned in right there. She leaned in and well, the ruinous, wow. the ruinous empathy would have been if she didn't say anything at all because she didn't want to hurt Kim's feelings. Right, right. Right. But and I think so, she was probably above that. But it sounds like she eased into it, which I think sounds yeah. like a good plan. Yes. And now, you know, you come from the military background where, you know, some of these touchy feeling, you know, caring personally about people might feel a little uncomfortable. And so I definitely want to, you know, make sure that it's clear that I'm not talking about kumbaya, let's sit around and roast marshmallows and sing songs and you know, act like this is a therapy session. What I am saying is, is being, is caring for your team members, is watching out for them, is checking in with them, is working with them when they say they're struggling on something. It's also drawing that information out from your direct reports. And that's a skill set that takes a long time for managers to really work on. But once your staff feels like they can trust you, and you've proven to them that you can trust them, that's when you can get to this point where you can challenge them directly because they know that you're doing it from a place of care. Well, how do we make this part of our new DNA? You know, we've probably got a lot of opportunity now because companies have, in a sense, many of them sort of blown up and they're rebuilding, they're reassessing. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like we could do this. What would be your step-by-step instructions or plan for someone that said, you know, we want to change the culture of feedback now. We yeah. want to move to radical candor. I mean, how do we do it? Yeah. Well, and you said a, a great key word when you were queuing this up is it's about building culture. So you're building a culture of radical candor. You're building a culture of feedback. And again, feedback is not something that all of us feel comfortable doing. In fact, even, you know, those of us who, you know, teach and do this for a living. I mean, look at how in my example, I completely flubbed getting rid of an intern because I 
I got, I got mesmerized by those puppy dog eyes. Um, but it's really, it's a culture and you're, you're building this culture towards transparency and of giving each other feedback. And so a couple things to do is that set the tone by you as the boss soliciting feedback from your team. Okay. Because if you can't, if you can't receive it, then no one's going to trust you when you dish it out. Okay. So um, it can be a little awkward for direct reports if you say to them, so give me some feedback right now. Um, But instead you can pose a question. So, you know, perhaps you can start off by saying, is there anything I can do or stop doing that would make me easier to work with? And then you pause. And as a professional trainer and facilitator, I can tell you that the pause is so critical. If I ask a question to a group of people that I'm training and then I get met with crickets, in my head, I count to 10. And inevitably, someone feels uncomfortable enough with the silence that they will start to speak up. And so the same thing can be done with your direct reports. Now, I don't recommend that you just call them in one day for a meeting and this out of the blue say, well, is there anything that I could do or stop doing that would make me easier to work with? Because that's really going to throw them off. So instead, you could cue it up to your team. Hey, guys, over the next couple of weeks, when I'm going to be meeting with you, doing our one-on-one meetings or even our staff meeting, I'm going to start soliciting feedback from you. So I want you to think about some things that you can share with me that are going to make me a more um, impactful boss. So I actually was in a situation where, where I used to work, we gave each other 360 degree feedback two times a year. Wow. It was a very <laughs> high level, you know, high culture of feedback. And what a lot of us felt though, is that we provided our feedback to our supervisors, but never really knew what happened to it. Right. And so they changed it at the management level. And so when we had a team meeting, our boss came in and said, okay, I want to share with you what the aggregate scores were. And I got to be honest with you, it was uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable because we're sitting here and our boss is saying, you know, I, I got, it's indicated that I need to work harder in X, Y, Z areas. And you're thinking like, oh my, did I say that? Did I write that? I can't remember who did that. Is she going to be really upset? But afterwards, it was great because then she said, you know, hold me accountable for this. If I'm doing something, if I'm interrupting you when you're talking, let me know. If I'm not following through with something, you need to bring it to my attention. And it opened up a dialogue between staff and boss because she was willing to be vulnerable. And that's a bit bit of an extreme example of, let me just give you all my 360 degree feedback. But it (laughs) it was showing to us that she heard it and she was willing to internalize it and she was willing to make the changes and show us what those changes were going to be. So, so again, soliciting feedback from your team would be the first thing that I'd recommend doing. The next thing is finding opportunities to give impromptu feedback. And what a lot of times what happens is with feedback, both positive and constructive feedback, we wait to do it in a formal setting. So, okay, I just saw something that didn't go great. I'll just bring it up during our next one-on-one session. Well, if you don't give the feedback in the moment or quickly thereafter, the effectiveness of the feedback gets thrown off. And moreover, if you're anything like me, when it's a week later and you're in that situation where it's a one-on-one, half the time you can't remember the context of what the feedback was in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, 
saying it, so in, in the book, um, Kim Scott references, you know, saying it immediately. So she says two to three minutes in between meetings is going to be a more effective way to give feedback than going back, scheduling a one-on-one, then the person needs to come in, then it's a 30-minute session you've locked on your calendar. Whereas if you had just done the two to three minutes in between meetings or as you're walking to the next thing or say, hey, pop into my office right now, one, it alleviates the stress and anxiety of worrying about it. Two, it's an immediate piece of feedback that you're giving. And three, it's done and it's over with. And then the person can make the changes and move on. So she talks about it in a framework of SBI plus R. This is actually from the Center for Creative Leadership. So S is outlining the situation. Behavior is determining how you acted. The impact is what what that impact was on the organization or in that situation. And then the request is how we'd like you to change your behavior in the future. Okay. So, and then the last thing is, um, is talking about, so operate, opera, wow. How do you say that? Operationally. Oh my gosh. I need another cup of tea. Was that the right word? Operationally. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So how do we make, how do we operationalize? That's what it was. Operationalize our radical candor. Well, how are we going to do it? We can't even say the word. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. Okay. Um, So we talked about soliciting feedback from your team. We talked about finding opportunities to give impromptu feedback. And then another thing is focusing on growth management through your career conversations. Um, Great, great section in the book, Radical Candor, where she talks a lot about having those career conversations. and you know, in the interest of time, I'm not going to get into it in a lot of detail, but she talks about how there's rock stars and then superstars and your rock stars, not like a, you know, David Bowie type thing. This is more of a rock of Gibraltar, you know, your solid rock, your stability at work, the people who work hard and are committed to it, but are fine being where they are versus your superstars, which are your highly ambitious change agents. And they're constantly seeking the new um, opportunities and wanting to climb up the ladder. So she talks about how you need to balance those and not dismiss one or the other because it's good or it's bad, but also having career conversations with all of the people on your team to determine what they really want. So maybe they are a rock star, maybe they are a superstar. And ultimately, it might mean that you can't serve that need within your group or division. And then it's talking with your staff about what their career path is going to look like through the company or maybe helping them realize if the company isn't for them, where can they go from there? So that's a whole different conversation of having these career conversations with people. But we could do a different podcast on that, Mac. Um But in the meantime, if you do need some additional guidance, I highly recommend picking up um, Kim Scott's book because she's got a lot of really good guidance and some good frameworks in there for it. Well, I think this is going to be great. I think as soon as COVID-19 has been beat and we got a vaccination and the economy comes back, we'll get right on it. Mm -mm. What? No, no. Isn't it a bit premature? Because nothing is right now. I mean, how could you implement anything like this when nobody even knows What's going to happen in the next few months? Nope. Nope. You can apply radical candor right now and you should be applying it right now. Keep in mind, it's about caring personally and challenging directly. If there's ever a time to care personally about your staff, it's right now. 
you know, in Maryland here, we are still, well, in my county, I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland. So a few of the counties are, we're still in complete lockdown. Um, some of our others are expanding and, and moving into the next phase. But right now, I mean, I haven't seen anyone that I work with on my team or my staff in 10 weeks. And so now is the time as a manager, to, it's incumbent upon you to really care personally about your staff and still challenge them. So I'm not letting you off the hook just because you're working from home. Um, am I going to be flexible? Absolutely. Are you, your core business hours going to shift a little bit? Not a problem. I'll work with you with it. But guess what? I'm still going to hold you accountable for your goals. And if that doesn't work out, we're going to have a conversation about how we adjust those goals. But this is not a situation where you just decide I'm going to push radical candor off to the side while I wait for the crisis of the world to peter out. So nope, still got to do it. In fact, now and among everything is the time to do it. And also think about it in terms of ruinous empathy, right? So when we're caring personally, but we're not going to challenge directly. So let's think about it in the context. So let's say you have a company that's not doing well financially. And out of ruinous empathy, you don't want to share that with them because you don't want to stress anyone out. You don't want to make them uncomfortable. But if you've got permission from your higher ups and you're hearing people talking about, hey, listen, there's some financial challenges we're having. We're facing this. Um, we might come through it. We might not. Here's some things we're doing, et cetera. That is all moving into radical candor is when you're sharing that with your staff. So don't shield your staff from bad news because you don't want to stress them out or you don't want to hurt their feelings. Do it because you care about them enough that you want them to be aware, hey, guess what? We're having some issues, you know, hold on tight, or we might not be giving bonuses this year. We're not at the point where we're letting anyone go, but we need to let you know these are the steps that we're doing. You know, being candid about that is really what radical candor is all about. Well, it sounds like a really powerful concept, certainly a book that I'm going to put on my list to read. And it sounds like it's really had an impact on you, Kate. I mean, you really have really, I think, I don't even, who wrote it again? Kim Scott. Kim Scott. Uh, it sounds like Kim probably learned it from you because you've got she this did, nail. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean. It, it, I interviewed her based on how, all of her executive experience at Google and Apple University. And I said, Kim, tell me. Tell, you know, this is what I've observed. You just validate that for me. Well, it's probably because you had Sheryl Sandberg to do the intro for you, right? Since you and her probably, you know, play golf together, right? We're tight. We're, we lean into each other. Gosh, I'm telling you, I am so lucky to have had you on the show. <laughs> but no, I really, I really got into this because I do a lot of training on feedback and it's the same old models and it's the same old context and it's the same old practicing of scenarios. And I was looking for something different, a newer, fresher framework for it. And I think the way that Kim lays it out is very logical. I love the way that her book is written. She doesn't spare the curse word through it. She lays it out in a very direct way, which is very much my management style too. You know, I had to be careful that I wasn't moving. <laughs> I had to move a little bit away from obnoxious aggression towards radical candor. <laughs> I, I, I need to work more towards the caring personally. You know, I've definitely evolved over the past 15 years towards that. <laughs> um, but I think when you 
look at this again, you know, just do a quick Google search and just look up the radical candle framework, radical candor framework. And it's just great. You can print it out, post it next to your computer and, uh, and use it to really remind you of the reasons why you're giving the feedback. Yeah. I mean, I have a copy of the grid in front of me and it's very powerful and the concepts I think are very useful. So Kate, I mean, how do we reach out to you to have you come in and help us start to maybe create a culture of, Yeah, I guess you can't call it radical candor because that's, uh, Kim Scott's thing, but you know, the concept, the idea, right? Yeah, How, absolutely. Can you help us do that? Well, and you know, the thing is, is that Kim now has gone out. This is a New York Times bestseller. She's making all this money on it, but these are all concepts that really are part of basic management, right? Sure. <laughs> um, and so, you know, right now, obviously parts of the country are opening up, parts of the country are not. I will say that Mount Vernon Consulting has been specializing in converting all in-person trainings to web-based trainings. And so we are certainly available to help anyone with that. And of course, we are more than happy to come in and work with you and your team to work on culture and impact and how that impacts your management team and your staff. So best way to reach out to us is through our website, which is mountvernonconsulting.com. And that's M-T-V-E-R-N-O-N consulting.com. And you can always reach out to me directly at kate at mountvernonconsulting.com, K-A-T-E at M-T-V-E-R-N-O-N consulting.com. And you will help us operationalize. There we go. There you go. Got it. We got it down. Radical candor. Candor. Radical candle. (laughs) I think we both need some coffee, huh? Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. I think so. Well, Kate, I really have enjoyed this conversation. And uh, I look forward to the time that maybe I can get out to Maryland again. We can go visit my mom and try to convince her to change her vote. Since she won't listen to Jesus, she might listen to you. I'm I'm not getting involved in that whatsoever. But, you, but you're going to use your radical candor, right? <laughs> yeah, you would have uh, better luck converting uh, a rock probably than my mom. But uh, it'd be a good <laughs> I practice. I neutral on politics. I have worked with and for federal government long enough that I keep my opinions to myself because you never know who you're going to cross. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, again, thanks so much for spending the morning with us. and. Sure. Uh, Best of luck as you transition, as we all kind of transition into new ways of doing business, but I think that's going to be very effective. And if you're listening, I really encourage you to uh, check out Kate's website and certainly engage her for some business. Kate, have a wonderful morning. Thanks, Mac. You too. And to all of our listeners, good luck. Don't forget to care personally and challenge directly. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. (laughs) 